Hi, my name is Fiona Zeiger and you're listening to the Migration Podcast. Today I have with me Isabella or Bella and uh, Jamie. You've heard from Bella before. We had a short talk a couple of months ago where she asked you to participate in her survey. Bella at the time was collecting data for her research project. And today, Bella and Jamie are going to speak about the results of that research project. So perhaps you could remind us what the project was about and what were the questions you were investigating. So our basic title was, Who is Academic Podcasting For? Now, this was really, really immediately quite interesting to me. Um, Working with Amesco as well, that wasn't really a field which I'd done much with previously. And then immediately starting this process, it became clear that there was actually lots of sub-themes beyond this initial title, such as like, what is academic podcasting? And when is a podcast considered academic? And how is it accessible or not accessible and how people use it. So these sub-questions beyond the initial main question, who is academic podcasting for, were really interesting to research for me. So we were able to do this project through Sheffield University research experience, which was able to fund it. Jamie, do you want to add anything? Yeah, no. So I, uh, it was just a, a really great opportunity to work with Bella. So the, the Shore scheme is intended for our undergraduates, so the Sheffield Undergraduate Research Scheme. Um, and it's a paid opportunity for our undergraduates to work with a, a supervisor over a summer on a project that the undergraduate has developed themselves Now, we were really lucky that Bella was interested to work with the Amisco podcast, and she put together a really fantastic um, series of questions around uh, how we might actually better understand who our listeners are, but also what the purpose of an academic podcast might be. So my role was mostly just to kind of nudge her in the right direction and um, also to um, we, we had a really great time doing things like ethics approval and all of those sorts of things for the first time which I'm sure was a, a new experience as well for Bella but um, no I really enjoyed the process altogether and um, and, and I'd just like to thank uh, Fiona and Bella for helping so much with it. You, you spoke a little bit about the different questions you were investigating. Could you perhaps tell us more in detail what were some of the questions you actually asked and then perhaps also how you went about asking those questions? So in terms of actually setting up the projects and going about the research, we, well, we set up two different ways. And this is, we talked about this, all three of us together, And I think we all decided that this was going to be the best way of getting the best responses for the project. So we set up two ways. The first was to do a survey, which was more, which was, I think, around 12 questions. And we used SurveyMonkey for that. And these kind of questions were asking if anyone had heard of the UNESCO migration podcast and then also delving deeper into the project questions like what do you think a podcast is what is it for how is it made to be academic and would you use it in your own academic research 
And then afterwards, I put a final question on that survey where I said, basically, are you happy to be contacted for a further interview? And this is where I did a lot more of in-depth conversation with individuals, which weren't recorded, sadly, but they were actually a lot more enlightening and I was able to get a lot more in-depth detail on those and these questions were slightly different to the survey or they were more of a follow-on from the survey questions if that makes sense. So you asked um, specific questions about the Migration Podcast to find out a little bit more about our audience because it's also something we were curious about and then you kind of broaden it to ask about academic podcasting more generally. Yeah. In terms of the actual responses to the survey about uh, engagement on the MSK podcast, there was a lot of people that were familiar with it. So there was around 11% that said that they were a subscriber from the survey. And then 22% said they were and had listened, they were aware of it and they'd listened to a couple of episodes, but around 66% said they hadn't heard of it at all. But then within these follow-up interviews that I had with a few of them, this kind of knee-jerked a bit of a response in a couple of them where they weren't aware that, not they weren't aware, but they felt a little bit uncomfortable at times with necessarily thinking that they were academic enough to listen to what is considered an academic podcast so I think there's a really interesting conversation to be had around the content mm-hmm. and pe- how people feel about listening to certain content. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that in your interviews people perhaps felt like um, this wasn't for them because it appears to be an academic podcast or it, perhaps we label ourselves as such? <laughs> Um, Yeah, I think definitely that was a key takeaway from the overall project. I think people now, well, people that took part in it, realise that there is a lot more of a flexible approach to academia now. And this is kind of the way that it seems to be going. People don't want to be reading things that they don't understand or that takes like five thing, five tries to read. And I think that's kind of reflective of, of like society and the, with the rise of TikTok and things like that with shorter attention spans. No, that, I mean, that's a really interesting point about the kind of rise of what they sometimes now call the attention economy and uh, the ways in which podcasting consumption works, I think is is maybe... Uh, like fits within that a bit better because people, you know, can often listen to a podcast while doing something else. Um, Most of the academic colleagues I know, for example, listen to their academic podcasts while walking to work or commuting in other ways and things like that. And, And it does seem to be very much a kind of work-focused way of kind of cramming in extra bits of information and things like that, which perhaps people are starting to either find useful in one way, but if it's not seen as for them, then maybe they wouldn't engage with it as much. That's interesting, yeah. I think following from Jamie's point there, there is kind of, with the degree of people being comfortable for using it for their own work 
and also the accessibility of academic podcasting. So in the survey, the 68% said that, yes, they would be comfortable with using it for their own work and like showcasing their own work. And there was actually a surprising amount of people that said, no, they wouldn't be. Whereas when it came to the accessibility question, it was kind of strange to me that after they'd said, if people had said no to, they wouldn't use academic podcasting with, to showcase their own work academically. They said suddenly like, oh, well, you know, it's a really, really accessible means to communicate a idea across to someone. And that to me seemed strange because you had people that said no previously that then had almost changed their minds but hadn't realised they'd changed their minds. And then, you, of course, you had some people, for example, I had a conversation with Ian Cook who said that actually there is a little bit of a, to a degree, um, academic podcasting can be considered not accessible which I was really like kind of baffled by his argument for that because he said that it was different because it wasn't like there's no kind of set in place measures for things to be peer reviewed. And because you have someone talking at you like I'm talking to you now, you don't have the same interaction with audience. And I think that's kind of the nature of academic podcasting, though, is if you have a discussion based argument then you are going to get those two sides. But if it's just one person talking, you're never going to get those two sides, or at least until you press pause and have a conversation afterwards. You mean um, as opposed to um, at a conference setting, for instance, when you speak about your work, that is, right? But not yeah. as opposed to a paper. Yeah. I think that's I think that's what his, what his point was, which was quite interesting. And I thought, actually, then maybe if people in the future are going to be using academic podcasting in the setting of a classroom, there should be more of a stop play, stop play kind or pause play aspect to it. Or where if it's truly academic, there'd be some sort of segment where you're allowed to feedback. I, yeah. Oh, that's a really interesting point. So something a bit more, I guess, dialogic, you might call it, like a back and forth. It, just for listeners, Ian Cook has been conducting um, like a wider research project on podcasting, and we were very fortunate to have a chat with him about that. Um, did he have any theories about, you know, why that was the case and, and how that might improve things? Or Well, he said it was a 50-50 kind of in terms of the accessibility problem it was 50 50 on one hand it's free and it can be accessed really easily and you can communicate your thoughts and which is easier because you have the gift of intonation accent and however you want to use your voice to persuade someone um but he also highlighted the need for technological improvement in this kind of industry and how it is still progressing in many ways. And I completely agree with that. And then also somehow, sometimes how things can be inaccessible if you forget the audience and go off on a tangent because there can be a tendency to do that in conversation. But I think that that's more of a natural human thing 
Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think these are really interesting points. I also think that if if academic podcasting, let's say, is one means to practice science communication or social science communication in our case, thinking about the audience is really important. When we started the migration podcast, we weren't entirely sure who the audience would be. And it was very much kind of, um, um, yeah, let, let, let's start and let's try and let's see where that goes. And we kind of tried to conceptualize around certain guesses who our audience could be and who would be interested. But the main purpose really was to um, get researchers to speak about their studies and their findings, um, assuming that when people talk, uh, they express themselves more, um, I would say, not casually perhaps, but with uh, using less jargon maybe. And that would make uh, research more accessible. If you tell the story of your research, you focus more on, you know, what did you do, what were the results and why does it matter? So focus more on storytelling. Now, having said so, I do think that there could definitely be some improvements also in terms of what we may call media training. Um, so I certainly don't claim to be the best storyteller ever. I'm learning a lot also through this uh, process. And I've learned a lot about what not to do in interviews and to kind of develop a different style from you know, the qualitative interviewer that I usually am in a research setting to become a more journalistic interviewer. That's definitely also something like a different way of talking with an audience in mind that, that is worth developing to kind of hone the skills of social science or science communication. Um, podcasting or the podcast as a platform also for the producers are a really good learning opportunity, I feel. Going back to your point quickly about you weren't sure what your audience was. So I had one of the questions in the surveys that I then could like go and access who was listening and out the people that said they were listening. And it appeared that a lot of your listeners that answered my survey anyway were students. And then having a couple of conversations with some of these students for the more in-depth interviews they were really highlighting the use of how it's how they use your podcast rather for research purposes for their own academic work and then also revision purposes in a sort of casual setting but you're still doing work if that makes sense that's actually a, a really interesting thing to hear about um because uh, to be honest uh for my own purposes, I do try to use podcasts in my teaching. Um, I think even like particularly over the pandemic, it became apparent that creating multiple forms of media for students to engage with the class materials was a way of basically breaking up the monotony, monotony of uh, being perhaps trapped at home, having to read an article and then do something else. So, you know, I, I, so that's actually a really great thing to hear because I think whether I'd consciously admitted it or not, I think that was perhaps what I was imagining our audience to be a lot of the time, like something that would be rigorous enough that a, like a, another academic colleague might hear it and say, oh, actually, if I, I, if I link this on the online learning environment for my classes, then my students can listen to it and perhaps they don't have to go and read that person's whole book, but they can get a clear sense of what they're talking about. Yeah, I think in that sense, kind of circling back to like 
who is academic podcasting for it's kind of for everyone in a way and I think as a student myself I am by no means I, I don't really even know anything about migration studies that's not my speciality however listening to a few of the episodes before I start the project was really really beneficial and it also kind of allowed me to feel like I knew something and also not like I knew something just like I was in, really informed on something where I actually felt that maybe if it, I'd been presented a 50 page book not a book research paper rather I wouldn't have necessarily had the same engagement with it. And I think this whole idea that, Jamie, you were talking about of this multimedia approach is really important, especially post-COVID for students right now. Because I think you can, well, with a creative approach, I think personally I learn a lot better. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. That's really great to hear. I mean, one of the things I was also thinking about is with the migration podcast um, because there are other podcasts that cover um, often you know migration based topics so um, Michaela Benson's um, uh, Behind the Headlines for example which is which has a lot of migration content on it is a really accessible way of kind of adding some context to news about asylum seekers or things like that but I was quite keen for us to still have a bit of an academic flair, if that makes sense, or a, or let researchers themselves speak to their work um, in a way that perhaps isn't as accessible all the time. And that was, I think, perhaps because I wanted students to be able to hear the way academics were thinking about their work, um, using their own voices, even if those voices are a bit convoluted and, and academic at times. I have a, a few other points I wanted to make, but they don't relate directly to what Jamie said. I was just thinking about something that you, Bella, said earlier about this contradiction. You mentioned some people said that they wouldn't consider podcasts as outlets for their research. On the other hand, they thought it made research other people's research yeah. <laughs> accessible. And I think this was interesting because I then wonder why why this uh, kind of yeah, disjunct in, in answers in a way. So is it because you wouldn't feel comfortable speaking on a podcast? I'm wondering. Or, I mean, not everything has to be turned into a podcast, let's be honest. I mean, it's, it's also a bit of a fashion at the moment, right? Um, and, and we don't want to force people into podcasting. But I'm just wondering why that would be or is it also just a very acute awareness of the nuts and bolts of the academic reward system you know you need to be careful what you spend your time on yeah, perhaps podcasting is just not as rewarding as writing a paper for a high-ranking journal <laughs> in terms of you know uh, career prospects uh, and impressing your employer um, I think that's a really good question. I think maybe a lot of it came down to perhaps people, I think people have a real block with not liking the sound of their own voice and not having the confidence 
to I think writing something is always a lot easier than saying it I think that's that I think that's a societal kind of issue really I mean whether it being on a text or sending some or like giving someone a call that's a similar kind of approach really in my mind I also think yeah the the point about people not getting the same recognition I think that's something that perhaps is to come I think because it's so because it's a quite a new way of making academic work or not making or showcasing it really I think that is an area that still needs some development in terms of how it needs it would need to be seen by the other people in the field and to be seen to be good enough before people on the on mass start using it as a way of researching and showcasing their own work but i also think that in that you need to have some sort of form of proper peer review because at the minute that's not it doesn't seem like something that is the easiest thing to do. I'm not sure actually how you do it, but I think maybe that would maybe account for some people saying, no, they wouldn't be comfortable using it. Yeah, I'm wondering, is this something that came out of the interviews? Are we are we uh, trying to guess um, the, the reasons why people uh, or some, some of the, the people you interviewed kind of had this contradiction going on? So all of my interviews did they all flagged up this idea of there not really being a proper method of peer review, whereas there is a proper method, I can't speak, method of peer reviewing in other spheres of academic research. So I think that was something that is clearly on everyone's radar that is academic podcasting at the minute. In terms of the other thing about people not really liking the sound of their own voice, that was something that came out of a lot of my student interviews. And I think that's really down to a confidence in your own work and confidence in your own uh, way of communicating your thoughts and ideas in an academic process. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes with time, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the question about peer review, we, we had that also in the survey, right? Because... Yeah the moment you have like academic academic podcasting and research you do have like at the back of your mind yeah but how do we ensure that what we bring onto the podcast and the research that is spoken about is somewhat verified right and um, legitimate in a way there's a question of legitimacy right so therefore also the idea of peer review as it is kind of as it is done with journal articles but then I think perhaps it is a good practice or a good strategy to speak to people about their publications that have already gone through peer review and to kind of focus on this and it can be a body of research right where people have already published and gone through this several times perhaps over the course of a longer project or a longer research career. It's a a really interesting point um, because and there's been parallel discussions um, in the field of uh, research filmmaking, um, which is uh, another like aspect of um, research that I conduct. So I do filmmaking as my practice. And there have been uh, processes of peer review introduced for like making films. Um, 
um, kind of pioneered by some ethnographic filmmakers in sociology, geography, and anthropology. Um, the thing that has become kind of contentious is now the question of whether or not, um, and it's kind of what Fiona was talking about, whether you are making a film which communicates or disseminates something about research that you've already conducted, or whether you're making a film as the research process. So one of those is you've already had peer-reviewed research, and then often you find a filmmaker to help you make something accessible and interesting that other people can watch. Um, and the other version is the kind where people use the actual process of making a film as finding out something new. Um, I was wondering, has, have either of you come across a distinction like that in podcasting, one where it's like kind of communicating something already found out and one where the actual podcast itself is a research process? Um, the only one that I can kind of think of is... I mean, this is a completely other discussion is, is what the parameters of academic podcasting, but um, is was a history one. And that was actually more of a kind of research experience podcast where they were on a dig and they didn't, and it was an episodic one and they didn't really know what they were finding at the time. So it was more of a journey with the listener. I think those ones are really interesting. I think that's, that's a different type of podcast, but I do think that that's equally as important, I would say. The only name I can think of is Ian Cook again, because he wrote something about podcasting as an insurgent practice. So I think he does speak a little bit also about podcasting as a research practice, although I'm not 100% sure. But otherwise, I've mostly encountered podcasts as, you know, the the first version or the first option Um a communication tool or dissemination strategy of research that has been published elsewhere already. And the the third form within academia that I've encountered podcasting was as a teaching method or tool. So instead of asking students to write essays, you ask them to produce podcasts. So if, if the most common one is a, a way of communicating or disseminating research. What are some of the main takeaway points for, like, what did people say seemed to be more accessible or useful as from that communicative purpose, like from the, the role of communication? I think in terms of accessibility, I think if we're comparing types of podcasts, I think the more accessible ones tend to be ones that are have a more of a focus on introductory things where it isn't it isn't too specialized it is specialized to an extent but you aren't kind of overwhelmed with it to the degree where you don't feel like you can be a listener if that makes sense i think that's a really important aspect of that to be fair not being too overwhelmed, the pacing, I yeah. guess, is one of the things, right? Okay, a any other kinds of reflections or takeaways from your, the research project? Or One of the key ones that kept on coming up, it's like someone said that it's really liberating, which was actually quite a nice, I think that's quite a nice thing to end on. 
and I kind of agree with it. It's it's I think academic podcasting is for everyone, even though it doesn't really seem like that. But I think the more streamlined and the more development it gets as a research method, that will change. And I think people who did the survey have already changed their minds. And yes, I think that's probably all from me. I was actually curious to know if anyone had any feedback for the migration podcast in particular. Mm -hmm. So basically, a lot of people used it for, as I mentioned earlier, their own kind of wind down time. And I think the, especially with guests, that that kind of guest to host relationship is really important, it seems to be. And I think a lot of the time people are really happy when there seems to be equal weighting and more of a kind of guest-led conversation there, I think that really increases listenership because you find out a lot more information, basically, and it's less rigid and people feel like they're listening to a conversation and going back to the idea that it's liberating. People feel like they're listening to a conversation rather than reading something that's really, really, really rigid. And I think a lot of people went away from this and I know for a fact because I know at least five people that went on and listened to at least three episodes and were like oh okay that's actually a really I'm going to use that actually in my own work and someone that I know does that does migration studies at university level she was saying that it she now uses it as a research tool and a revision tool for her own work and she doesn't really know how to cite it but she emailed it to her lecturer as well so I think we've got a few more listeners <laughs> yeah I'm very happy to hear that <laughs> I'm very happy to hear also that the research project turned out to be a bit of a um, advertisement for the migration podcast well thank you so much Bella for um, for your work and for uh, speaking to us about thank you. Um, what you found uh, yeah i thought this was super super interesting lots of takeaway points and mm -hmm. uh, yeah thank you also jamie for making this happen no I, i really enjoyed it um i really enjoyed working with bella and uh, can and i enjoy continue working with you Fiona. <laughs> i think one of the things that i always think about academic podcasting as we've been conducting it is just that it actually captures some of this back and forth um, slightly more casual conversational aspect to research that people don't always get to see. So, um, you know, in this conversation, I think it's also a nice little thing. When you said it's liberating, Bella, I was like, it is liberating because this is actually the kind of stuff that then is the behind the scenes of a lot of um, formal papers and presentations. So, yeah, again, um, I think that maybe that's something to take away for further future podcasts. Anyway, thanks again. Thank you to you two as well. You've been very helpful and supportive throughout this. <laughs>